if you have your Bibles, please open it to Nehemiah chapter 1. Uh, we're going to start a new series now uh, through the book of Nehemiah. Um, as we went through Esther, Ezra, and Nehemiah, it's kind of like a little mini trilogy as a big whole um, because all three of these books kind of happen around the same time. Um, so I, I hope that this is or this will be a blessing or has been a blessing for you because uh, it definitely has been for me to see God's sovereign hand uh, through what seemingly uh, very dire situations. Uh, but before we start, let's go to Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, may you bless our time in your word, and may you use it to uh, multiply in our hearts and our mind uh, so that we can um, bear fruit, uh, and may we honor you with all that we do uh, through the working of your word, Lord. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Well, if you remember last April, uh, the Notre Dame, uh, which was built in the 12th to 13th century uh, uh, A.D., um, it was built uh, as a way to uh, make people really look up to these um, to the heavens. Uh, the Gothic structures were designed that way. It was designed to be you know, very sharp t uh, tops as a way for people below to look up and, and think of how uh, great heaven is or how great their God is. Uh, that's why Gothic type of architecture is designed that way. It's to show you how small you are in relative to how big God is. But Notre Dame is particularly unique because it's in uh, France. Um, it, is a, it is 850 years old, and uh, last year, uh, if you remember, it, it caught on fire. Uh, the part of, of the roof was burned, and, um, and a lot of the spires even collapsed. The thing that was a point up to the Lord, uh, or make people think up, think highly of God, or, or, or feel small, has suddenly collapsed. And you can look at this as almost like a parable of what is going on in you know, European culture as a whole. Uh, it's becoming more and more secular. Uh, but even though this cathedral uh, burned, um, a lot of people were sad. And they were sad for different reasons. Uh, the president of France believed that the, uh, this is more, he tried, he tried to remove the religious aspect of it uh, by, but by saying that, oh, when this building, this, you know, when Notre Dame Cathedral burned, it was almost like attack, uh, as almost like a loss of identity, a loss of, a loss of their history. And we understand that that to be true. Uh, a lot of the um, certain religious groups, whenever they want to target another religious group, one of the things that they do in terms of ethnic cleansing is to try to destroy every type of landmark or building or architecture or art or anything, any, anything that could remind them of that past. And it's, it's devastating whenever something like the Notre Dame or any type of uh, building is destroyed. We understand in a great scheme of God's plan, everything's going to get burned. But in our temporal mindset, in the finite moment now, we sometimes get discouraged because we realize that when something like this is destroyed, a part of history is going to be gone. Uh, we understand this even in our own homes, right? in our own lives, when we lose our own homes or, or we lose some sort of possession, it's like a part of us dies with it, um, which really makes us uh, not look toward things that we have or have, place our hope in the things that we have, but look for the things that is to come. And although, yeah, as Christians, we understand that. We understand that our hope is in the future. For the Jews back then, especially in Ezra and Nehemiah time, the temple and the land was a, was a big deal. Uh, not being able to go and worship the Lord in the temple that, they've, um, that, they were, that the, the God has um, commanded them was a big deal. It, it was more than just an identity, but it was the religious aspect as well. Um, and that's what we were going through back when the book of Ezra. Ezra was, um, well, the first six chapters of Ezra was uh, the people starting to rebuild, um, rebuild the temple. Uh, uh, there was like different 
because of Israel's sin throughout the entire Old Testament, they were, uh, they were taken out into captivity. Uh, there were three main dates, and there's, you know, throughout the captivity, there was actually three, like, they, were, they weren't taken out all at once, but they are taken out in multiple stages. There, one time happened in 603 BC, and then the 597 BC, and then at 586 BC, this is when the temple was destroyed. Nebuchadnezzar allowed the temple to be destroyed, and it was destroyed so badly that not even one stone was left. And this was prophesied in the in the in in uh, Isaiah as well that everything is uh, that there will not be left. There will not have even one stone that's unturned. Um, and what the significance of that is is a fulfillment of prophecy. And we see that even today, uh, there are non-believers that think, well, how can the Bible be true? It speaks of this grand temple that Solomon built. But we can't find it anymore. There's no archaeological evidence of it, which is actually an evidence that God is true because God said that you will not find it. So 586 BC, the temple is destroyed. <clears throat> and then the, all of Israel, all the Jews are taken out into, taken into Babylon. And that's what we call the Babylon captivity. Uh, Seventy years after that, that's when the book of Ezra began. And you recall the book of Ezra, first six chapters, they went to rebuild. And chapters in, in between chapters 6 and 7, the whole book of Esther happened. And chapter 7 of Ezra and on to the end of the book, Ezra goes in and he tries to help rebuild the spiritual uh, condition of the people as well as the temple. Uh, so again, try to put this everything in chronological order. Ezra, ha I mean, uh, Esther happened 33 years before Nehemiah. And then Nehemiah, and then uh, the book of Ezra, actually no, Ezra 7, where Ezra appears, happens 13 years before this book of Nehemiah. Um, and if you recall, if you're following along with me during the time when I was going through Ezra um, and even Esther, I talked about how the difference between the, um, the Persians and uh, the Babylonians, how they dealt um, with, the, with, with people, uh, how they deal with their captives. Babylonians tend to, whenever they rule over a nation, what they would like to do is they'll force them uh, to, to, turn, to turn from their religion and, and their culture and they basically integrate them into society. Uh, Whereas the Persians, that the, the people that beat the Babylonians, these people believe that, okay, we'll let you be. You can go back to the land. You can worship whatever you want to worship. But the only thing you need to do is just pay a huge tax. And that's where the, the context of the world that Nehemiah and Ezra are living in. These people are uh, in uh, under Persian captivity now. And they're, they're given liberty to go and, and rebuild um, their, their society and their culture. Um, if you remember in the book of, in the beginning of, Ezra, I talk about this guy named Zerubbabel, he was like the first person who helped rebuild the temple. And then Ezra comes in, he, his role is really to rebuild the spiritual condition of the people. Uh, remember at the end of Ezra, the people were, divorced, uh, were marrying or having these relationships with foreign women and Ezra rebukes them and then uh, they, they separate them with, um, separate themselves with, with those uh, other pagan women. Again, it's not an ethnicity issue, but rather it's a spiritual issue because um, these foreign women were one I mean their ancestors what drew the Israelites ancestors away from the Lord and Ezra wanted to make sure that doesn't happen again so now Nehemiah 13 years after Ezra coming in uh, returning to the land Nehemiah appears and Nehemiah um, uh, as we will see he's actually a very important figure he's not a prophet uh, and he's not like yeah, he's not a prophet or a priest um, but he's actually just if you were to think of him in he's more like a politician. He's neither a priest or a prophet, but he was more of a politician. He had a, uh, where he was, he was very, um, he had a very high standing in society. Nehemiah was in Babel, Babylon and was in, uh, in high position, and um, he received news 
of the of the city being destroyed. So for today, usually how I would go through these is um, I uh, usually go through the whole text and then I give lessons throughout the week. Uh, for this week, I'm going to do something different. I'm just going to walk through the text and as we go, uh, I'll just give the lessons. But uh, I'm not going to go through the entire text. Rather, I'm just going to go through the first four verses. And throughout the week, we'll just uh, see how much we can do and we'll just keep chipping away at it. And as we keep going along, uh, we'll draw some lessons that are applicable to our, our lives today. So Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekeliah. Uh, now it happened in the month of Chizeth in the 20th year uh, while I was in Susa, the capital. So what's cool about this, in this book of Nehemiah, it's kind of like you're reading Nehemiah's journal or memoir. He, he's explaining um, how he became to be. I mean, this is all in retrospect as well. He's not writing and then things are happening or things will happen. He, things has already happened and we'll see what happened. And this is just him looking back at all of the ways that the Lord used him to help rebuild uh, the wall. Uh, as we see, what, what is the significance of this wall in a second? But <clears throat> first one, uh, Nehemiah is in, in, in most uh, names in the Old Testament, they have significance. And I believe the Lord, by God's sovereignty, named Nehemiah this way, or his parents named Nehemiah this way, before for this exact time uh, for Israel. The name Nehemiah means the Lord comforts. And uh, interestingly enough, he will be distressed and the Lord will provide him comfort. You'll see in the middle of, or toward the end of verse 1, it said, Now happened the month of Chizvelev. Uh, this is basically uh, just for us to for us to grasp in modern sense. This is basically around uh, November or December. So it's in the winter time. And uh, he was in the capital. Uh, he was in the Persian capital. And he was just sitting there doing his thing. And then verse 2, Then Hananiah, one of my brothers, and some men from Judah came, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and had survived the captivity in about Jerusalem. So what's interesting is that um, uh, ne Nehemiah, his brother, was someone that actually uh, went to uh, went to the Judah to rebuild the temple. So if you remember when, uh, when I said in Ezra 7, or toward the end of Ezra, there was a group of people that left Babylon uh, to, go and fix it, to go and fix the temple. This is a, kind of like the second wave of people. So this person, Hananiah, did do that. He, he was the one who went with Ezra to go, and then now he's back. And, he, and then Nehemiah here is asking him, hey, what's going on? What's, what's going on there? Uh, tell, give me the report. And um, he gives them this report. Uh, they said to me, the remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach, and the wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. <clears throat> so if you imagine, um, you know, you haven't, you probably, I mean, in our modern time, we have, because we have, like, technology, we don't appreciate news, we could get it right away, but if you imagine Nehemiah sending his brother out, and uh, if you remember in Ezra, said that those who send out the family members should support them to go. So Nehemiah gives money to Hannah and I to go and, and help rebuild the temple. He's wondering, just kind of like, what happened to it? Like, what, how, how, did, you, how, how did you guys do? Um, what's the condition of, of, um, of our home? And he explains them, like, oh, yeah, things are not great. Things are, um, there's a great distress. Uh, this word great distress is this idea of uh, turmoil, which is um, the Hebrew is a very strong word, basically the opposite of peace um, and reproach, meaning that there's a lot of shame and the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are burned with fire. So everything is still in rubbles. Everything is still 
I mean, aside from the temple, everything else around it is still broken. And in a city without walls, it's, it's I mean, it's just basically like a, a valley of like, or like a place where squatters hang out. There's no real barriers. There's no like uh, dividing line or there's no protection. So there's, it's, it's an unsafe place. But the only plus side is they do, they do have the temple. And uh, Hen and I will see later on, he's actually a very important figure in Judah. But uh, when he's here in, in back in Babylon, in ba back in Babylon, uh, Nehemiah is higher ranked than him. So it's kind of like um, if you would think if someone in our church is a politician, if he's in the church of, and he's a member of a church, then the elders have rule over him. But in the outside of the church, the, that individual have rule over the elder because his you know, jurisdiction is outside of the church. That's what's kind of going on here. Nehemiah has higher rank than Hananiah in a sense of outside of Jerusalem and Judah. But when Nehemiah goes into Jerusalem, Hananiah will be the one that he reports to. So it's it's kind of cool. It was interesting, I guess, that that, um, that there is this kind of dynamic here that the Lord uses people in different contexts, uh, ultimately both whether it's in or outside uh, his kingdom uh, for his purpose. And... Uh, Nehemiah here, he is a unique individual because he is, you see at the very last verse, that he was a cupbearer. And a cupbearer back then is not, it's not something that just drinks the drink for them. I think we understand the concept. This guy will taste all the food, not just the food that, not just the, like the drink or the wine, but everything. Which means that Nehemiah had some sort of close relationship with the king, with, uh, with uh, this place, this king Artaxerxes. He uh, he had a he had a good relationship with them. He had a, love, a trust with them, and I think it was just a principle that we can draw from this, from looking at the life of Nehemiah here in the beginning of uh, these first four verses, is that he he had a balance between working in a secular world and and still holding to Judaism, um, because uh, and we see in verse four when I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I was fasting, praying before the Lord, before the God of heaven. So Nehemiah was someone that was uh was even though he was working in babylon in the high ranking he still held to uh worshiping yahweh um, just because he was in a secular world that did not deter from his heart from the from yahweh and i think for us we understand we can see the principle translate to us you can be a faithful christian and still be high in society uh, that doesn't mean that like we should aspire primarily for for political standing or social uh, upper social class or anything like that but just through your faithful work, that's what eventually will happen. Um, your, no, uh, your, your good works will be known to people and people will want you in their life, even non-believers. Um, so for us, we, that's something to think about. How can we faithfully do our job well so that we can um, even get uh, to be in presence in high places, have influence over people? We see that in Proverbs, the, that those who are, are diligent workers or those that are, are honorable, they have a presence before kings. And Nehemiah <coughs> is one of those individuals. Uh, he uh, loved the Lord and he loved working uh, and worked hard and he was placed in this position. A cupbearer at that time was would be like the second in command, um, more important than like a general or even the, the spouse of the king. Uh, this person is, is like a trusted individual and, um, and yeah, so Nehemiah was that. He was trusted by the king. Uh, but you notice in verse three and verse four, when he when he heard the news of what's going on in Jerusalem, he was moved by it. Nehemiah was moved, and and, it, and this is what actually caused him to decide to go. Throughout the rest of the book, he decides to go. He he spies on, he inspects the place, and then he commits his whole the rest of the book to, to fixing this temp, uh, fixing the wall. 
Um, and there's just, uh, it's just the way that the Lord works in people's life. Uh, and this is something we need to understand that you are where you are because God placed you there. So you, you and I are called to honor God in all things and represent him in all the ways that we do. And, you know, in our time, especially right now, where there's so much uh, civil unrest and, and not even being able, being able to be um, meet with each other at the church, um, there's a tendency to think that there's no more ministry. That, like, okay, ministry has somehow ceased. And that can't, that's not the case. You know, the, the church is not a physical building. It's a, a collective of believers. And if there's something that grips you, something that tugs at your heart, that you want to do in ministry, whether it's inside the church to build up the church or outreach to outside to people outside the church, you should totally do it. Uh, you should be as you know as SFBC. We should be able to do whatever ministry, um, whatever the Lord placed in our heart. We should be a part of it. Um, and, and now I do want to give this caveat that just because you have a desire from the Lord to do certain things, that doesn't mean that that should be imposed to other people. The Lord will give you certain desires to do certain ministries, and the Lord will give other people certain desires to do other ministries. You don't want to compete with other ministries. You, want, you don't want to think like, oh, just because I have this desire for one thing, that everyone else should have the same desire. No, that's just not how the body of Christ works. Uh, all of us are called to do different things. Some of us might have, this, uh, have similar uh, desires on certain ministries, and that's good. Um, but you need to be able to do it. Uh, if the Lord has given you this desire in your heart, uh, and you need to act on it because that's you're called to be a steward of that. God made us all unique to do whatever ministry. <clears throat> Again, this is not a competition. What God lays in your heart, you must be a good steward of it. Uh, there's a diversity in terms of the function, but yet we're all united in Christ. There is a tendency uh, for people to have a desire to do something, but never act on it. And we're going to look through the book of Nehemiah that Nehemiah has a desire to go help build the wall, and he actively goes after it. Um, and I think that's something we need to think about as well. If you think about your life, you think about ministry, you don't really care about something unless you really act on it. You don't really care about ministry unless you start doing ministry. You don't really care about evangelism unless you really do evangelism. Talk is cheap, and you, and, and like you can uh, claim that you want to do something, but unless you actually act on it, it doesn't really matter. If you want to be used by God, you need to first... Um, Pray. You need to pray. You need to pray that the Lord uh, gives you the desires and, and the opportunity to do certain ministry, and you have to filter those desires through the lens of Scripture. Um, some things are not good desires, uh, and how do we balance that? By searching the Scriptures. Um, some of you might have a desire for um, for caring for children. That's a that's a good desire to have. Uh, some of you might think that uh, ministry is all about um, I don't know, like. Uh, like evangelism, and you should do those things as well. Others have different desires and different parts, again, whether it's in-reach or outreach. Um, we're not competing against one another. We should be thankful that the Lord has given certain people certain gifts to do in-reach and outreach. Um, but you need to act on it. Um, you don't want to be standing in front of the Lord and the Lord ask you, what did you do with all the talents I've given you, all the time they've given you? And you say, well, I was just waiting on the right opportunity. No, you need to act on it now. The, today, today is a day where you have opportunity to be able to serve our God. Do whatever the Lord uh, uh, tells you. Don't fight that desire. Again, you have to filter through Scripture and then go for it. God gives you an interest that is going to be different from others, and that's a good thing, and that's a beautiful thing. And uh, we'll see that as we go through the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah has a desire here. When he heard of his people losing the temple, 
as he heard that like the, the wall is not well, not losing temple but the wall ha hasn't been completed and it's still burning um, that he wants to go and help them uh, and he Nehemiah is not a wimp like he, you'll see later on that when when he feels threatened he's gonna just arm himself uh, when he wants to go and help fix it well he does it he's he's a man of action and uh, that's what you and I should be as Christians we need to be people who act we're not supposed to just passively wait around uh, for something to happen if you want to do ministry you want to use your life and maximize your time that you have here on earth for the glory of god you need to be a person of action uh, so that's the first part from verse one to four uh, that you want to be someone that knows that loves the lord uh, that serves the lord and then, and then act on the things uh, the lord has placed in your heart so uh, that's it for today uh, to, in this coming week, we're going to see this little prayer from verse 5 to, to 11. This is a long prayer. In fact, there's 10 prayers throughout this entire book. And by God's grace, he allows us to see and read Nehemiah's prayers. Uh, and it's cool because then we could see how prayer is, is what fuels ministry and what, and, and what uh, gives you is the strength to be able to continue on with the ministry, no matter how difficult it is. So I look forward... Uh, to go through this chapter and the, and the rest of this book together with you. I hope this is helpful. Have a nice day.